Well, welcome to Into the Breach. Uh, we're on our third episode, and in the first two episodes, we talked about kind of those initial questions that we all have about the meaning of life. So we ask, you know, who am I? Where am I going? Uh, what's my purpose? You know, kind of how am I going to get there? And uh, we've touched on the identity, um, kind of the purpose, what's the end goal, uh, but we haven't uh, touched a ton on how am I going to get there. And, and um, we're going to kind of go ahead and assume that you believe, you know, you're listening to this podcast, you believe that, like, morality of some sort, to have, to have morality of some sort is a good thing. Um, and we're going to kind of touch on what does that look like uh, what is what does an authentic morality look like, where we actually know what we should and should not do, and in, in our actions that we have to make decisions on on a day to day basis, uh, and ultimately those actions are supposed to lead us to the end goal. They're not just arbitrary rules um, that we make up uh, that we just have to answer. You know all the moral questions that exist, all the situations we can be put in, but uh, we're put in those situations to respond in accordance with our identity, our purpose towards the end goal of heaven. Yeah, so a, a big part of um, the entire morality topic um, in the church, I think, strays a lot of people away because there's a lot of misconceptions that people have about the church, um, and particularly to some of uh, people in society that have some type of oppression and some people that, you know, there's social groups uh, that have either in history They've been neglected, or now they feel uh, some neglect. And so we kind of thought of uh, three really common misconceptions with respect to morality that we wanted to kind of uh, touch on today, what people think, and then really, what does the church really believe? Uh, What does the church actually uh, teach on these topics? So one of the first one that that is something that uh, all of us have, I think, at one point been asked by, by an outsider, if you will, uh, would be, like, why does the church hate uh, homosexual people, people that have same-sex attraction? Why does the church hate them, and why do they uh, discriminate against them? Uh, the second would be, why is the church so uh, repressive to women, you know, with respect to the uh, contraception, anti-reproductive rights? Uh, they can't be priests. Uh, they really just, you know, hey, all the women... All the women really should do is just have kids, be at home, kind of the 1940s, 1950s model. And then uh, the entire uh, idea of chastity, you know, when when one hears of chastity, it's almost like, you know, no, the church is just a a bunch of no's. They just say no to everything, and it's just a bunch of rules. And the entire chastity thing doesn't resonate well with me. So so these are the three things that uh, I think a lot of people think about the church until they really... um, Kind of dive in and understand it. Yeah, and so to to, to open up um, with the first one that you talked about, Gabe, why does the why does the church hate um, homosexual people, people with same sex attractions? Um, we kind of got into this a little bit uh, earlier when I was I was kind of sharing with you guys about how uh, I've been working over uh, over Christmas break, and uh, one of the guys I was working with, we were talking a little bit about uh, Catholicism, and he asked me this. He said, "So why do they?" And I said, "Well." Catholic Church doesn't doesn't hate homosexual people um, because it's 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 not about um, um, condemning the the person. It's about condemning the act. Um, and there are some parallels that we can even draw, like um, for a person who is 
who has same-sex attraction or who is homosexual, um, comparatively speaking to other things that the church would would condemn as well. Yeah, sure. So, so I mean, if we would look at it in the light of of uh, someone that is that is straight, right? So, someone heterosexual. Um, just to use an example, and John, I've been asked the same question that your UPS driver has asked you, and I've kind of tried to approach it in this way to to stay clear of trying to relate this very sensitive topic to something. Sometimes people like to kind of equate it to alcoholism or something like that, and that's mm-hmm. I tr- I think that it's appropriate for us to try to stay clear of that, and and, and so people don't say, oh, well, this is the same thing as being alcoholic, and or it's the same it, thing it, as having like a drug addiction, or you know, right. So I think that it's important that we try to parallel it with someone that is, you know, the same exact thing. Uh, you know, instead of having same-sex attraction, they're attracted to the opposite sex. So, for instance, um, you know, a, a college student that's straight, uh, you know, they're sitting outside one day, and uh, it's a guy, and, he's, and he is just, he sees the most beautiful woman in the entire world. And, uh, you know, while he's, while he's looking at her, there are some impure thoughts that come into his mind, right? He thinks about her in, in sexual ways, or he thinks about, uh, maybe things he would do to her, or all these, you know, what we would call, you know, evil thoughts. Well, we could ask the same exact thing. John, Mitchum, why does the church hate him? They don't. They don't. So that's, that's the exact same thing as the church is calling him, this, this man that's attracted to this woman, to a life of chastity, a life that, hey, that attraction, that initial attraction to that woman is fine. That's ordered. That's perfect. Good. That's what your body was meant to do, is meant to be attracted to a member of the opposite sex so that you get to know her better. And, you know, eventually maybe, uh, you know, if all works out well, date, get married, and, and, and be fruitful, multiply. So with, with the, uh, someone that struggles with same-sex attraction, I think a lot of times we forget the attraction in itself is not sinful, just the same way with the straight man, it's not sinful when he saw this woman that was, he was attracted to. However, if he would go and act on that with, with this woman, the church would condemn the act, not the person, and say that that's sinful. Yeah, I think people get um, hung up because you, you just uh, said a little bit about, um, you know, the way we're naturally ordered with the you know, attraction to the opposite sex. And I think people get hung up on the word, you know, often used within the church, and it's, in, it's the word used in the catechism uh, about um, even homosexual attractions are intrinsically disordered. And so they hear, you know, disorder, I have a disorder, you know. And, and, and unfortunately, it's a word that um, it doesn't mean the same thing as having like a, you know, a, a, a genetic disorder or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it really talk, it's really about... Um, you know, what are we, what are we as human persons ordered to um, in the innermost part of our being that's, and, and if something, an attraction we have is not ordered towards that, then it's improperly ordered or disordered. And clearly, like, even improperly ordered, you know, doesn't sound the same as disordered in our typical, like, frame of speech. You know, right. that, uh, that, that captures, I mean, Disorder is true, but it's not the same thing as like a, a disorder that we typically think of, you know. Right. Um, and and so we can say the whole thing about ordered because, um, you know, the body, um, we can't separate, you know, the soul from the body. Um, we, you know, uh, there is a connection between the uh, 
the masculine body and being a man. Yeah. Um, and of course, this is you know a difficult time. There's much there's much more that can be said about that um, in a time when there's more confusion about that. You know, um, I mean, we you know we admit, and we didn't even talk about this pre-show. Talk about this, but you know, we admit that like there can be a disconnect psychologically with you know your gender. Like part of being a man is accepting your gender. It's possible you may not do that. Now we would disagree that you know does that actually make you not a man because you haven't come to psychological terms with that, we would say, no, no you are still, right. a man. You're still a man. There is the importance of the psychological dimension, which is a psychological mental acceptance of that. Um, it is possible you don't have that acceptance, um, but to us, it, it, it wouldn't change um, that truth. Yeah. And, and it's something that, again, like Mitchell, you said, when, when someone, you know, for instance, someone that struggles with same-sex attraction, when you hear that, it's a disordered attraction, you know, something that we can kind of, I don't know, in a diff- through a different lens, say, really, this is a cross that God's asking you to carry. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and it is a cross, and, and to go off, like, your disordered attraction, like, you could even make the argument for a straight um, heterosexual uh, man that <clears throat> who is um, addicted to pornography. Um, Absolutely. That's a disordered attraction, you know? If if that's where he is is turning constantly, and that's where he um, is putting is 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 putting all his all his chips into, that's that's disordered as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you said about the cross, um, uh, because I mean it is a cross. I, I I can't imagine what a cross it is, but there are people who who live with this and who really are striving to to live it out the right way. I remember um, in high school, uh, one of our religion teachers showed us a video about uh, men who have same-sex attraction um, within the Catholic Church, and, and they, they touch a lot on their struggles um, and how hard it is for them to live out. But they are. They're, they're taking their cross every single day, and they're picking it up, and they're carrying it as best they can with the help of Christ. And I think what's important to remember about a cross is that it's not easy, and it's not light, and it's not something you can carry by yourself. Yeah, so, so you know, someone would look at that, John, and they would say, well, you know, everyone else is... Their, you know, their, their attractions are ordered, you know, why for me? Why does God give me that cross in particularly? Or why does God give me these crosses? Because it's through those crosses, it's through those trials that we come face to face um, with our Creator. Um, God is never um, nearer to us than when we are carrying our crosses, when we are going through those hardships. Um, so in a way... Uh, those crosses and those hardships are blessings because they they put you right they put you right smack face to face with with Christ um, and so they really allow you to to develop a really very intimate relationship with him um, in the midst of your suffering yeah and everybody has a cross and it's an important thing to point out too that um, everybody has one even Christ says unless you deny yourself take your cross and follow me you will not of course, I started the quote, and then is that you will not have eternal, you will not um, have eternal life. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Like basically, the requirement is <coughs> right. to take up your cross. Therefore, like clearly, all of us have them. If, if right. we can't get there without without them, yeah, and to, and take that cross up daily. And I think the important part is is it's not like we're just picking this cross up and trying to carry it. I like the analogy I've heard before. It's really like you're putting this cross on your shoulder, and you're walking up to Calvary with him. 
you're dragging it right to him. Or even if he's already up on Calvary, you're dragging it and you're placing it right at his sacred feet. And like you said, John, through these crosses, God allows this type of, this type of uh, desolation, if you will, to bring us literally face to face with him. Which it, it's hard to see it as that. It's hard to think of all the, the hardest things in, our, in all of our own lives that have happened. But if we really brought it right to Christ and we poured ourselves out to allow him into the deepest and darkest parts of our own being, it was really so that he could rid us of everything else and fill us with him. And that's what really brings us to the most joyful, um, to, be, to be the most joyful person that we can. And I think what we're talking about right now, too, shows a differentiation. Like people typically often only see the two options on this topic of same-sex attraction, which is either um, you accept the acting on it, you know, whether that's through willfully, like, thinking sexual thoughts about someone um, or, you know, actually engaging the behavior or in a same-sex relationship. Either you accept that or you hate the person who has these attractions, whereas the church really proposes the third way, um, which is that, like, like we said, you can have an attraction that is not properly ordered. That's not the same thing as acting on it, whether in purposeful thought um, or, uh, or in action. Yes, because either, either, you know, like the two sides you presented, either of them will condemn you to hell. You know, on the, on the very, you know, uh, do whatever you want side, you know, it's your body, do whatever you want. Don't let people tell you there's a right and wrong. There's moral relativism in a way. Well, we believe that's sinful, and if you do that, you know, you, you, you know, you know without repentance, you, you know, you will go to hell. But on the other side, uh, no, any attraction is evil. You're going to hell because you have that attraction. Well, that's not right either. And that's where, you know, we could argue and say, no, really, the, the Catholic Church is the safest place for people that have this same-sex attraction because we embrace them and love them. Now, of course, there's going to be people that aren't agreeing with us that are in the Catholic Church. There are people that probably say, no, they're, they're wrong, and we should, and, and, you know, there's always going to be a couple of bad apples in the bunch, but... <clears throat> Uh, if you really understand church teaching, that is that is what the the Church of God does does believe. Yeah. So we, should we move on to to with women? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, a common misconception, as we mentioned earlier, that the church is very repressive to women, um, just kind of, especially with respect to contraception, uh, kind of restricting their rights. Uh, the church doesn't allow them to be priests, so they are kind of a minority in the church is a common misconception, and, and men are really uh, superior to them. Yeah, and I think, again, looking at the differences between um, men and women, you know, the church would say that the ability uh, for a woman to give life is something beautiful that's unique to being a woman. Like a man cannot cause himself... Uh, to be able to do that and that way to carry a, a life inside of them. And, and so that, you know, kind of the statement uh, that the church is repressing women, it, it seems kind of, I mean, it's strange to me because we're trying to defend an aspect that's very unique to women and allow them to have that and really assist them in having, um, having that be, you know, be positive about the fact that women um, can carry a child and give birth and then, the, the perspective that's, that says it's liberating women wants to kind of get rid of that aspect. Like, say, 
women are not equal to men until they can also, you know, conceive and not carry it to term. Like, because just like a man, you know, men could, you know, uh, impregnate somebody and then, and then leave all responsibility before the kid right. comes, right? <coughs> but, okay, that's true. A man could do that, but that's not a good thing. You know? Right. No, this yeah, is he's a, nobody's role model. Right. That's no, not a good thing. Nobody's to, clapping to, to, for him. To do that. Yeah. So, like, you know, we, we want the man to have responsibility, too. That's what the church would say, is that, that both people, you know, the woman can have, you know, carry a child in a way a man cannot, but the man who's done this needs to be there. It's not, you know, something great that he can do, abandon ship, uh, that a woman can't do, and, and we want, you know. Yeah, that, that's a great right. point. It's really, it's a defining feature that a, that a woman has that, that really a man could never be as close to their child like a woman could be. After, you know, like we talked about before with, with after a, a woman does give birth to a child, you know, she lays it on her chest right after uh, the child is, is, is out of the womb. You know, the child really just rests with the mother. And then there's a, a, a very intimate bond between the two, uh, f- you know, following for the very, you know, the first couple months and stuff of the child's life. They, they know their mother. And it's a really special position that God had for a woman. You know, his, uh, his final creation, his greatest creation, the most beautiful creature in the entire world, God created to be a woman. Uh, so I think that he had really special plans with her. And throughout church history, if we kind of, you know, in today's world, we don't see it as much, but the, the church really did view women as very sacred uh, through, through the practice of veiling. Right. Yeah, so I liked, Gabe, your, your connection with the veiling. And you brought this up earlier the other day how um, traditionally, um, you know, women used to... to to wear these little veils or, or um, coverings over their heads um, when they were in church or, you know, in, in sacred places like that. And so if you look at that um, and you look at the other the other things in the church that are covered, what, what are the other things in the church that are covered? The other things in the church that are covered are the things that are considered the most sacred or the most precious or need to be protected the most. Mm-hmm. You know, they're put up on a pedestal. Yep. Like this is this is above us, so we need to we need to. This is sacred. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at the tabernacle, um, the chalice, um, the altar itself, and even you know today, like you were saying, nuns still wear veils. Um, it's part of their habit. Yep. Right. And now we're obviously not saying that, you know, this this is this has kind of died out a little bit, um, and we're not saying that. <laughs> Women who, who don't, um, like, you know, wear veils or veil themselves, you know, in the church are, are something that is, you know, not precious. Yeah, and if, you don't, just, if you don't veil, you're not right, bad. Or, right, yeah. right, right. We're just saying that <laughs> if you look at it, traditionally speaking, in, in the history of the church, like, they were with those other precious objects that were veiled. And also, I think it's important to remember um, the, the bond between a mother and a child, especially in the first couple months, but... Um, really for life, because I, you know, a mother will always have a have a special bond with her child. Um, let's not forget that um, God sent His angel to a woman. Um, he sent. I mean, she was she was she was His greatest creation because she was the one that could hold His son. You know, she was the one that could bring the Savior of the world into the world. Because without a woman. 
you know, we're, we're SOL. We have, we have no savior to be born. Right. <laughs> That's right. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so right. And, and with the woman being priest thing, um, you know, a very, not to get into the entire argument of, of, of men being, uh, the priest, you know, within, in persona Christi and all, all these things and the apostles being all men, you know, Jesus could have picked a woman if, if he wanted to be, he held a very important spot for his mother who was a woman. You know, it was part of his last words on the cross. What he, you know, he gave the world and all of creation to come, his mother, a woman. And even today we know through the intercession of, of our, our blessed lady that she as a woman holds a very important part in this church still. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, as Catholics, and I, um, I'm not sure how many denominations hold this, but, you know, we believe that she's um, the only, you know, person preserved from sin, with, you know, without stain, uh, outside of, you know, God himself, outside of Christ himself. So this is, this is the only person who lives it out perfectly who's not God. You know, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Um, and there's some beautiful uh, language about, like, if you look at Scripture too, um, the language to describe Mary, uh, it, it points back to the Ark of the Covenant, the same language of this golden uh, box that carried the, the Ten Commandments and, and um, the Staff of Aaron. It was, you know, uh, a really a, a focal point of prayer. The language that describes that in Scripture in the Old Testament is then used to describe Mary as this new ark that carries Christ in her womb. In her and how womb, much yeah. more significant since she carries the actual incarnate presence of God. Right, and so now to guess, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, we're going to talk about uh, the third point, one of the third misconceptions that's often brought up, um, and that's chastity. You know, chastity being um, a no, or chastity being, you know, a set of um, do nots. You know, and we're going to kind of flip that on its head because it's 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 not. It's it's chastity is a yes, chastity as a way to to live and to love fully. Um, and I really like the way. Jason Everett talks about chastity as, as really ordering our, our desires um, according to the demand of true love, he says. So ordering the way we love, the way we approach each other, the way we approach ourselves even in a way that answers the call of true love and doesn't, and doesn't um, corrupt that or warp that in any manner. Yeah, so chastity is about, you know, it's the truth for any of us in our uh, state in life. So whether we're single, whether we're dating somebody, whether we're engaged, whether we're married, whether we're you know, a priest who's taking a vow of celibacy, um, a sister who's taking a vow of celibacy, whatever it is, we're all called to this, which is like, you know, the proper, the proper integration of our sexuality into our life and our, like, into our action. Are we living, you know, are we doing with our bodies or in our you know, even our, our thoughts, what speaks the truth about where we are in our life. Yeah, and John, I, I really um, appreciated the fact that you said, you know, on the, on the flip side, on the converse of it, chastity is really a yes, it's an invitation to love. 
And um, something that, you know, a lot of these um, chastity speakers or theology of the body uh, experts, I would maybe call them. Wow. Uh, something they say a lot would be, uh, you know, free, total, faithful, and fruitful love. And uh, that's, that's why the church is really asking chastity. Like, it's a yes to, to, to free love. It's a yes to total love, faithful love, and fruitful love. So an example of someone that isn't living this is, you know, oh, I love you so much, I give you everything except for my fertility. I'm going to, you know, we're going to use contraception because I don't want to give you that. Or, or yes, I love you so much, but I actually am not really faithful to you because I'm, um, you know, having, having sex with another person or I'm, I'm you know, with my, you know, I'm, I'm watching pornography on the side. So this isn't actually, you know, I'm not faithful to you. Right. And really, if we look at, like, why does the church feel this way is, well, we were given an example of love through Christ, and he did not hold anything back from us. He poured everything out for us. Right. Yeah, I mean, because I like the connection with, with Christ, and Christ on the cross is the ultimate example of love that we have. Um, and, like, you know, can you imagine if he held, if he had held anything back? Um, obviously, it would have, we wouldn't have salvation, right? So, um, Chastity in itself is is liberating. Chastity in itself is 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 the desire to to have self control, the desire to to control your desires, and not to not not to suppress your desires, right, or your your sexual desires, right, because those aren't not bad. inherently bad, right. I think it's important to note that those are not bad, and chastity is not calling us to suppress those, but it's calling us to to order those for true love. So. Self denial, self control, um, for the good of the person that we love. Yeah, let's say you know, say you are a celibate either by you know a vow or by just being single. You know, um, you can take those authentic desires for union with with a particular person or, or people in general and channel them into. Well, I can't act on this in a sexual manner but I can do good things for people. Like in all my other actions, I can be holy. I can draw them closer to heaven. I can give of myself in, in um, the right ways, wanting what's best for the other person. Um, and I think, uh, you know, part what we see in, in the free toe, faithful, and fruitful that you mentioned, Gabe, um, it really, um, it sums up like any sort of romantic love and that like, well, yes, we're, we're applying this to, like, if you don't have those things, you know, in marriage, there's something lacking. But, like, the reason why you would not, you know, want to hook up with somebody is because if you do that, you're going to be missing some of those things. You're not actually doing what's best for the other person. It's not total, you know. You're probably denying them for t- your fertility, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's not forever. Um, it's not, so it's not that lifelong commitment. It's not faithful in the sense of like, well, if it's a hookup, you know, probably going to do that with somebody else at some other point. You know, right. It's not just like a commitment to them. And so. And certainly um, not fruitful. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, so we see that that's, you know, that is a demand of like when, when we choose to actually act on romantic love, it, it makes sense to have it in that context so that we are actually in control of our, our desires and acting on our desires in a reasonable way. 
Yeah, and I think that, I think that uh, you know, with us being on a college campus right now, um, hopefully our audience, you know, it's going to be listening to to our uh, our little podcast here. Will be probably a, of college age, or maybe we'll get some high schoolers on here. And I think that an important thing to address is, I've heard it a lot growing up throughout high school is, well, how far is too far? And uh, it's really reframing the question. I don't think that the question should be anymore, how far is too far? But really, did, did this promote God? Did this bring you closer to God? And, and at the end of the night, did you send your I don't know, significant other home with a clear conscience? You know, did they go home knowing that you actually love them or did you, did you use them? You know, I think that was, it's kind of reframing the question, which is a, I don't know, something, to, something cool to think about. Yeah. Because the, I think the issue with that question too is, you know, how far is too far is, it almost kind of leads into like the, the attitude of how, how, how close can I get to, to sin? How close can I get to crossing that line before I like, you know, you know, jump off the edge, you know? And the, and the fact of the matter is, is when you get close to that line, the no is that much harder. Right. You know, you're not going to be over. When, when's the no easier? You know, before you, um, you know, before you even see the person or, right. or uh, while you're, you know, you, you know, your body takes over. And then it's right. the no, the no is almost impossible probably at that point. Right. And then, you know, if, if, if you're thinking about it in that manner, um, I think this was, uh, Jason never talked about this again. You know, if, if you really truly love that person, then you don't want to, you know, bring them anywhere near crossing that line of, of crossing into sin because then you're not only hurting yourself and you're, then you're you know, you're hurting them. And if you truly love that person, then you don't want to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, possible, uh, possible podcast in the future. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Dating. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we, uh, you know, pretty much most of this podcast was on you know the morality within uh, sex- sexuality, and I think. You know that that's not the only aspect of morality. Clearly, we're given many different decisions, but I think we focus on that because it summarizes a lot of the principles that apply in the other decisions we have to make and like our different actions. Because our sexuality is the area where we're probably most tempted to, you know, act on an attraction, but at the expense of someone else. You know, like mm-hmm. using them like versus some of the other decisions we have to make. It's it's not as much of an intense, very difficult to control draw, you know. Um, so, so again, this is not summarizing every, you know, every decision that we're made to make, but it um, encapsulates a lot of the issues outside of sexuality as far as morality is concerned. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that uh, that, that really wrap. We're gonna probably wrap it up. Uh, you know, I think that every every person on this earth is called. You, you know, you're made for love. So I think that that's something we really wanted to uh, own in on here today. So Yeah, and if you failed at that, and we all have at some point, you know, this podcast does not mean, you know, it's the end for you. It's time. It's a beginning. It's, all, it's a beginning. It's a beginning. Ooh, wow. Like that. That's a mic drop moment. We don't <laughs> have mics we could pick up and drop. It. Insert boom. It would destroy the equipment. But, um, yeah, it's a new but, beginning. Uh, so, like, yeah. yeah. And I think that's another thing that's so great about um, the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith is that <clears throat> we all we all have our have our faults, we all have our failings, and we all have you know times when we feel like we are 
far, far from the reaches of, of God's love, but ultimately that's that's a lie. You know, we are not ever we're not ever too far gone to be forgiven. Um and I think that's a it's a good thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. Um, you know, as 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 you continue your your journey um from asking yourself who am I to where am I going and uh, the morality that plays into the decisions that you make along the way.